Somebody said to, to me this morning, man, the book of Job is hard. It is hard. Those, some of those verses that we just read, we know that's true, but to live that way is hard. It's hard. Um, you know, we all know something about Job. I would say if I asked you about Job, you could tell me something about Job's life. He, he lost everything, his children, his servants, his animals, his possessions, and eventually his health. Uh, I've heard people compare their suffering and misery to that of Job's in order to help themselves feel better because they think to themselves, well, my pain isn't as bad as Job's. And really that's kind of, I think, an unhealthy thing to do. I mean, I've done it. I've said, well, there's people that have, you know, their life is worse off than mine. They've suffered greater things than I have, so I need to be grateful for where I'm at. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a healthy way to face suffering and trials because I think there is a better way. And, and that way is to what? It's to look up. It's to look up. It's about God. It's that last song. It, it's not stuff that we do and stuff that we experience. It's, it's, it's resigning ourselves to the fact that God is all-powerful. He's on his throne. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. I may not know what he's doing. And you know what? That's okay. I just need to cling to him and trust him. Um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have access to the very power that raised Jesus from the dead resurrection power. Uh, we just have to turn it on. We just have to, to surrender to it, trust it, stand on it, grab a hold of it, and hang on for dear life. Job looked up, didn't he? he? He, instead of blaming God and instead of cursing him as Satan claimed he would do, Job worshiped the Lord. Uh, the words of our closing song last week proclaimed that we, that we can do that too. It, it was, blessed be your name. In the, and we sang these very words. I hope you sang them, and I hope you believed them, and I hope you lived that way this week. In the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. That's where the rubber of our faith meets the road of suffering and pain. Um, and, and it is fact that we can live our lives with the same faith as Job. Um, as verse 22, and if you would turn to the book of Job, as I said last week, if you don't know where Job is, go halfway into your Bible, open it up. That should be the book of Psalms. Book before Psalms is Job. Chapter 1, verse 22 tells us, in all this, in all that Job suffered, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And, and I believe that the book of Job has been given to us not so 
we can use it as a worst case scenario and say, well, I'm grateful for my life because it's not as bad as Job's. I don't think that's why the book of Job was, was given to us. Um, I think we have the book of Job so that we can know how to and how not to go through suffering ourselves and stand with someone as they go suffering go through suffering themselves. Uh, it's an amazing picture also of who our God is, our Savior and King and Lord, the creator of all things. And as we study the book of Job, I want to encourage you to jump all in. If you're not here today, of course you're not going to hear this, but if you're not here today, I, I really want you to follow along. I, you don't want to miss a week because we're going to work through the whole book. Now, you also need to take some responsibility. In, in your Bibles or in your worship folder, you have a for further study sheet, and that also has a section that you need to read in preparation for next week. Uh, and, and I trust that you will do that because I can't we would be a year and a half going through the book of Job if we went through passage by passage, and, and we're just not going to do that. Uh, so, um, the structure of the book, I didn't mention this last week, is prose at the beginning, it's poetry in the middle, and then we have another section at the end that, that's prose or, or kind of an, a narrative. And, and the po poetry can be hard to read, uh, maybe that's what the person meant when he said this morning that the book of Job is hard. You know, because you read that and you're like, what? It, it doesn't make sense it, because it jumps from, you know, this is happening at this moment and this moment. It's kind of a narrative. And then all of a sudden it's like, what, what is this? And it's poetry. And you need to read it as such. We need to understand that we need to read the Bible, certain parts of the Bible differently because it was written differently. So make note of that when you read the next seven chapters, if you haven't read chapter four through 10 yet. Um, and then there's more for you to read next week. So um, I'm going to make some observations today because we're picking up where we left off last week and we're going through uh, the, the chapters for today. So today, uh, point one this morning, we're going to look at Job's misery once again. And we're going to look at, look at it from four, four different perspectives, four voices, if you will. Um, the first voice I want to look at is the voice of the accuser. The voice of the accuser. The accuser, Satan. He is real. Um, he lives and breathes today on planet Earth. First uh, Peter 5.8, we are told, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And in the midst of that, he ends up in the throne room of God and God has a conversation with him. We saw that last week. And in this case, in Job's case, Satan doesn't give up after the first interaction. Um, when the accuser enters the throne room of God and God points him in Job's direction, his first attempt to get Job to give up on God fails. It doesn't succeed. Job does not curse God. He, uh, and then Satan returns to God. He's in the throne room again. And, and, and God, God knew that Job wasn't going to fail. God knew that he was, uh, he was a righteous man and he was faithful to him. Not because of what God was giving him, but because of who God was. Um, now, 
God gives him permission to do one more thing. And we don't know what disease Job was struck with in this second attack, but it was awful. Um, Severe itching, insomnia, uh, running sores and scabs, nightmares, bad breath, weight loss, chills and fever, diarrhea, and blackened skin. He wasn't even recognized by his friends. When his friends come, they don't even, he doesn't even look like the Job that, uh, that they knew the last time they saw him. I mean, that had to be incredibly miserable, didn't it? I mean, we've all probably been in some sort of health situation where we were miserable. COVID was pretty miserable for me. Chicken pox at 30 was pretty miserable for me. Uh, not death, and I know some of you out there who have been through certain things, and you would have rather died than have gone through what you went through. We see that. Job gets to that place. He, he does. Um, now, as we read this, we should not assume that all physical affliction comes from the evil one. You know, not, not all health things are a, an attack of Satan, uh, but we also need to recognize that God does give him that kind of power at times. I mean, it, if Satan does it, he's been given permission to do it. And, and we need to remember that. Um, now, some of our physical problems are the result of our carelessness and because we're just really not taking care of ourselves as a natural consequence. Um, but Satan will use all tools available to him to kill and destroy us. And if he can get God to permit him to, to, to attack, to try and steal and kill us, he will. That's what he does in the case of Job. He leverages everything that he can. That's why daily putting on the armor of God is so important in our, our walk with God. It helps protect us from those things. And, and uh, at least at this moment for Job, the city's leading citizen, the greatest man in the East, is now living in poverty and shame and on a pile of garbage. Life is hard. Life is hard. The voice of the accuser can be very, very loud. Then the second voice we see is the voice of the quitter. Um, all that Job had left in his life, it seems, was his wife and his three friends. And if you read what I, I asked you to read, it seems that even they have turned against him. Um, I mean, no wonder Job felt so alone and in such a dark place. Job's wife didn't respond with faith, did she? She didn't. Um, look at chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You can't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. That is exactly what the accuser wanted him to do. And instead of encouraging his faith, instead of being there with him, his wife added to the temptation to not trust God. 
And as I just said, Satan will use every tool that he can get access to, including people that love you and people that you love. And and it's hard when someone you love is telling you something that you biblically shouldn't do because you trust them. I mean, you love them. But Job didn't listen to his wife, and correctly so, because she was wrong. That wasn't good advice at all. It wasn't good advice. And, and we're usually hard on Job's wife, aren't we? I mean, come on. But, and, and I read this, I didn't come to this conclusion on my own. I'm 55 years old, and, and I just now thought this, and maybe you've thought through it ever since the first time you read the book. But to be fair to Job's wife, she lost all those things too. She lost her children. She lost everything that gave her comfort, everything that gave her safety, everything that gave her uh, security, including, in fact, she may have lost more than Job, her husband She has lost the health of her husband. When I think about it that way, I'm not quite as hard on her. She was still wrong. She still acted not out of faith. And, and, And Job is in as vulnerable moment as he possibly can be. But it I can understand why. May and maybe we we aren't given emojis in the Bible. We don't know if she said it with a smirk on her face or with anger or with expletives. We don't know any of that. Maybe she just wanted her husband to have peace. She was just asking him to do it the wrong way. I don't know. Um, You see, when life is hard and painful and full of suffering, may our response not be to curse God or doubt God, but to but to praise him, but to worship him, but to surrender to him, to, to, to lay our life down before him, whatever it is that we have left. One time my brother said, he said, dude, all I'm able to do right now is stand. I can't move forward. I can't, I can't take a step. And he said, you know what? Sometimes that's enough. If that's all you can do, if that's all you can help someone do, Um, Maybe that is enough. Instead of cursing God or asking, how can I get out of this? You know, one of the responses, which is a hard response to have, uh, is what, God, what next? What, what, are you trying to teach me something? Is there something that I need to learn through this? Is, um, what, what is next? God, is, the, is it faith? Do you want me to grow in, in my faith and trust of you? And that's therefore being tested. Is there in fact unrepentant sin in my life that, that I have a blind spot to and, and you are trying to get my attention? You know, regardless, may our first response be to worship God, to hold him up as the one who who gives us eternal life, who gives us life now and eternal life one day if we have put our faith and trust in him as our Savior. May we live in total faith to God, obeying him no matter what sort of circumstance in life or experience we are experiencing. That is hard. That is hard. God knows that. Jesus knows that. It's one of the reasons we have the book of Job. 
to help us. Um, you know, we, we can live this way because we know that he is working out his perfect plan and in his way, in his time. When, when life is difficult, it is easy to give up. It's easy to quit. But let's remember that that's exactly what the accuser wants us to do. That's what Satan's after. So we have the voice of the accuser, the voice of the quitter, two more voices. We also hear the voice of the mourners. Uh, this is his friends. This in, is the next seven chapters in the book of Job, starting in chapter 4. And in many ways, they become the mouthpieces of the accuser. Again, to their credit, they showed up. They came from long ways to come. They showed up, and for seven days, they're just with him. That's what he needed. They were just, they were just with him. And this, this wasn't in the comfort of his own home. This wasn't in a warm hospital room. It was in a smelly city dump that they sat with their friend. But, but they also failed Job. Uh, you know, Job opens his mouth and begins to share with them how difficult life was and, 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 and the place that he is in. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Job hears from Eliphaz the Temanite, who speaks profoundly and gently, but he knows nothing of the scene that occurred in heaven. He only sees what's happening right here. He's not even thinking about maybe there's some other thing going on here. And uh, he concludes that Job must be guilty of some serious sin and therefore is the subject of God's anger. We, of course, know that what is happening to Job has nothing to do with God's anger or directly because of Job's sin. Now, the text tells us multiple times that he was righteous. He was not perfect, of course. He was not sinless, but he was, he was uh, God said that he was righteous. And when he makes the claim of no sin, he's referring to his spiritual integrity, not his perfection. Because he continues to do what God has asked him to do, to be a righteous man, to be a man of integrity, to be a man that loves his children, loved his children. And as we read Eliphaz's words, we do see truth with a capital T. There are many things that he says that are true. They, they are right. They are biblical. But again, not knowing the actual reason for Job's specific suffering, his wisdom that he somehow received secretly, because he says that. I don't know if it was a premonition or a dream or, or he has some special connection to God the Father that somebody else doesn't, but he mentions that. This wisdom that he is giving Job is ill-placed and ill-timed. And Job does his best to answer Eliphaz's judgments and accusations. And then we get to Bildad. He is also certain, certain that Job has sinned. That God is doing something to correct you. He chides Job for his stubbornness and urges him to repent to God for his sin. He says things like, does the Almighty pervert justice? He takes Job's claims for innocence and applies them to his simplistic notion of retribution. He is convinced that Job is accusing God of injustice as the Lord hands out justice. And we know, to repeat myself, that God is not judging Job. Does God discipline us? Absolutely. Does God, in a way, spank us when we need it? Yes, he does. 
But this is not what's happening here in the book of Job. God will not cast away the blameless, Bildad says in chapter 8, verse 20. This seems to be a veiled offer of hope on Bildad's part, I think. I think. Yes, Job, he says uh, in verse 20, you will be able to laugh again one day. I've had people tell me that. And in the moments that I've heard that, generally speaking, it's, it, it was encouraging to me. It's what, what I needed to hear. That person was telling me that with, with love and gentleness. And then, Bildad says in verse 21, that you will, be laughing, you will be able to laugh again one day after you take the steps to be blameless. Life will be good again if you just get whatever garbage is in your life out, because obviously there's something. But God twice has declared that Job is blameless. So Bildad's take of the situation is wrong. And Job continues to be exasperated and ultimately not encouraged by his friends. Perfect illustrations of what not to do as a friend of someone who's going through suffering. Don't be Job's friends. Uh, For seven days, be Job's friends. The voice of the accuser, the voice of the quitter, the voice of Job's friends. And the fourth voice is, of course, the voice of the sufferer himself, Job. Um, After seven days, he finally speaks, and and, and it was from the bottom of the barrel. I mean, why was I ever born, he says. Why? I would have been spared all of this if, if I had never actually been born. Now, this is different than wishing he were dead, though he does eventually get there as well. Um, And in this moment, Job is declaring the incredible pain and loss that he is experiencing. It is real. It is the real deal. And in his pain, he begins to forget all the blessings that he has experienced in his life. Uh, that, That happens to us too, doesn't it? We get incredible amnesia when we're going through hard times of all the things that God has already done for us and how he's provided for us and, and that he was there for us in that moment and that moment. And, you know, when we're in the middle of darkness, it's hard for us to see anything but darkness. That's what the accuser is trying to accomplish. He wants us to, to give up. And we focus on the perceived hopelessness of our current situation and we forget the many blessings and gifts from God. Let's, I just want to say let's don't do that. And, and I wish we just wouldn't. I wish it was that easy. Uh, you know, I, and, and maybe this is, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but my wife and I consistently and regularly have watched the show Survivor. They just finished season 44. 44. I cannot even believe it that there's been that many. But, but 
they just had their finale and, and uh, you know, they, they were all, and it's, it's been an interesting group of people. Sometimes there's villains and sometimes there's lots of backstabbing. And, and this was, this, this group of people really did grow together in relationship. And it was actually hard for them to vote somebody off. And, and in the end, when they're talking to them, they were talking about how, how they, some of them came in the game with, with things like, I lacked self-confidence and, and I, I, I wasn't sure of myself in this area or whatever. And then they talked about how going through the incredibly hard experience of the game that is Survivor, they came out the other side with more confidence. They found out some things about themselves that they could actually do some certain things. And I'm thinking, that's it. We don't get better in life with easy things. Growth comes during hard moments. And suffering is a part of that. Pain in life is a part of that. I mean, we experience that in our, in our country. We are so affluent and so entitled. And, and there are people in other countries that don't, don't even have a full Bible, let alone five or six versions and, and, and you know, 10 copies laying around the house collecting dust. And, and they get one book or one page and, and they just eat it up. So important to them. We just kind of get, I don't know, comfortable. And suffering takes us out of that comfort because we need to be taken out of that comfort in order to grow. See, we need to anchor to Jesus in these storms that we experience. Um, Let's camp out under the protection of his wings. May, May Jesus' voice be the loudest voice that we hear and listen to, not these others that we're talking about today. Even our own. May Jesus' voice be louder. You see, Jesus himself suffered greatly, didn't he? Amen to that. Not not because of any sin he had committed, because he was perfect. But because of the will of the Father to rescue us, humanity, Jesus suffered. It wasn't for himself. It was for us that Jesus suffered his death and resurrection. And we are so blessed. We are forgiven and reconciled to a perfect God when we surrender our life to him. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah. And in that relationship, we surrender to all things God has for us, good and bad, because God gives and God takes away. Those are the four voices, and they can be very loud. Now, what can we learn? Here are two lessons for us, actually three Three lessons for us. The first lesson is this. It is possible to be correct and harmful at the same time. It is possible to be correct and harmful at the same time. Standing before the open casket and consoling the widow, a new pastor said this. He said, I know this must be a very hard blow, Mrs. Vernon, but we must remember that what we see here is the husk only, the shell. The nut has gone to heaven. Maybe true, wrong time, wrong place. 
A friend of mine once said, David, there are times where it is possible to be 100% correct and 100% wrong at the same time. This is one of those moments for Job's friends. Um, He said, we so often preach grace and preach grace and preach grace, and when people finally believe, we hit them over the head with the law. Challenging thing to think about. We should be eating more from the tree of life than from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's definitely a balance. There's definitely a balance. Um, This is where Job's friends messed up. Eliphaz was correct when he said that God punishes the wicked for their sin. That's true. He also said that God is a fountain of goodness and mercy and is in sovereign control of the world. And he says, happy is the man who God corrects. Yes, that's true. It's very true. Out of God's love, he corrects us. He corrects us because he loves us. We see it in Scripture. And Bildad was right when he talked of God's judgment and justice. But they misapplied those truths out loud as their friend suffered in anguish. Because Job had material loss, psychological pain, physical pain, and anguish. His suffering was not due to sin. Those truths didn't apply in this moment. They did not know the role the accuser was playing in this whole situation. They... Job might be the only one on planet earth to ever have lived who could say the devil made me do it and it be true, right? Well, obviously that's not right. They lacked empathy and their wisdom, their intellectual words were causing way more harm than good. There there was no compassion in their words. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest ways we can help people who are hurting is to just be with them. Um, In a passing conversation, somebody said, I just watched a video. Uh, Rick Warren was talking about uh, losing his son to suicide. Uh, His his son's whole life, he had struggled with depression, depression, and they they had tried to help him and prayed for him and and, and all of this. And... um, Rick Warren, founder and former pastor of Saddleback Church in California. And one day his son chose to end it. And and it was one of the, he talks about how it was one of the darkest times of our lives. And and you can find the story on YouTube. Uh, It's just over 11 minutes. I I don't have time to show it to you this morning. But if you search those words right there, you'll find it. Um, One of the things that he shares is that as, as he and his wife As we are there for people who are suffering, he said, the deeper the pain, the fewer words we should use. The deeper the pain, the fewer words that that we should use. He said, if someone has just had a bad hair day, you can have a 30-minute conversation about that. But if someone has just lost a son to suicide, you show up and you shut up. There is nothing you can say And then he says this, it is the ministry of presence. It's the ministry of being there. Many of us have had someone show up and shut up, and it is exactly what we needed in that moment. 
Don't try to explain everything like Job's friends did or try to find reasons for the suffering. Explanations don't heal broken hearts. If Job's friends had continued to listen to him and hear his feelings instead of arguing with him, that they would, they, they would have comforted him, comforted him a great deal. But instead, they chose to take on the role of a prosecuting attorney And they would have served him better by being witnesses, witnesses to the glory of God, witnesses to the love of God, witnesses to the faithfulness of God, to God's faithfulness. It is possible to be correct and harmful at the same time. A second lesson is this. Life is rarely simplistic. Life is rarely simplistic. It is easy for us to jump to the conclusion that it is simple. That's the way it's sort of been perceived all throughout the course of history. Uh, Do good and good things will happen. Do bad and bad things will happen. We've all experienced that. But then we begin to think that's always true. And it's not. Obey God and he will bless you in every aspect of life. Sin against God and you will face his wrath and he will take things away because of your disobedience. People in the ancient world believe that. People in today's world believe that. But it is obvious as we read and understand Job that this is not the case. That's not real life. The Gospel of John gives us insight to this truth. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples in this moment, well, probably everybody. I, I, would, I would bet that even... The boy's parents and the boy himself wondered, what did we do to deserve this? What egregious sin did we commit for God to uh, retaliate against us in order that our child would be blind? And what was Jesus' answer? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And here's the kicker, and here's the one that makes us sort of uncomfortable, because we're like, it just doesn't seem fair, right? This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was so that God might be glorified. God allowed, made, however you want to look at it, a boy be blind so that God's power might be displayed in him. Job himself asks why questions that honestly only God can answer. And we do too. We ask why questions. There's nothing wrong with asking God why questions, but we need to be cautious that we don't ask them in a way that demands an answer. Because God doesn't owe us anything. And remember, knowing the answers to all the why questions doesn't always make things better. If the Lord did tell us why things happen as they do, would that take away the pain of what just happened? It would not. Um, Similarly, reading an x-ray, does does reading an x-ray take away the pain that you have a broken arm? I have this pain. You look at the x-ray. Oh, that's why I have that pain. Does that fix the broken arm? Uh Uh-uh. No, we must live on the promises, not the explanations of God. (laughs) The promises. So let's practice trusting and spend less time asking why. Life is not as simplistic as we often think it is. 
God's ways are not our ways. Sin is not always the immediate cause of suffering. In reality, life rarely operates according to the black and white boundaries that Eliphaz and Bildad are putting forth. But our physical lives and our spiritual lives are more complicated than that. This is a truth that we must keep in mind as we encounter people who are walking the road of suffering. Life is rarely simplistic. And a third lesson for us from the book of Job this morning is that humanity needs a mediator. This is my favorite one of all of these. Job, Job c- communicates that he feels distant from God, does, doesn't he? If you read it, you, you know that he was, he was communicating that, that, that he feels distant from God. He praises God's majesty and power and righteousness. And then he asks in verse 14 of chapter 9. So, so fast forward to chapter 9, verse 14. Job says, how then can I dispute with him, God? How can I find words to argue with him? Job seems to long to make his case before God. I'm suffering here. What is going on? I'm, I'm righteous. I did all the, th- the right things that you wanted me to do, yet I'm suffering. But he doesn't feel like he has that kind of access to God, like, like there's no way for him to approach God and beg for mercy. And then look at chapter, uh, at verse 32, chapter 9. He is not, he's speaking of God, a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only, verse 33, there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. And when I read that verse, the first thing that popped into my head was, but Sunday's a coming. Job, it's coming. He's talking about things which are coming in the future. What he wants is coming. Without even realizing it, Job is pointing forward to the work of Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, the words of Paul. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for our wages of sin. He took death's place for us. He paid the price of redemption for all who believe. Check out this verse in Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our interceder. We go to him. We go to him. When you're suffering, when when you have a friend who is suffering, we just simply in love point them to Jesus and be with them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is, this is where we have a huge benefit over Job. We have exactly what Job was longing for. And that power, that forgiveness, that reconciliation with God is what gives us the ability to get through those times of suffering without turning our backs on God, but looking towards him.
Now we have two things remaining this morning. First, John Cummings is going to come up here. Last week, um, you good to go, John? Um, last week, John came up after church and he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know why, but God just, it seems that God put on my heart that I need to share this, this story. Uh, he's pretty nervous. Like nobody else who's shared, John was nervous. Trust me, they were, they were really confident. And Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, John's going to tell us about a dark time in his life. Okay. I'm uh, talking a little soft here. I guess you can hear me. I'll stand close to the mic. Everybody has a story. Zach told some of his. I'm going to share a few things. In 2004, a few days before Christmas, uh, we had just concluded a small group meeting in our house. Uh, most of the people had left. The phone rang as my brother Steve, who's a minister in Thornton, North Denver, and he said, uh, you need to be sitting down. So I sat down, and I could hear the anxiety in his voice. He said, Jay has died as a son from my first marriage. And uh, the breath just kind of went out of me. Sudden, he was, had been diagnosed bipolar, and the meds he was on uh, gave him a blood clot. And I didn't know it, but previously, a year earlier, he had had the same problem and almost died. I didn't, didn't know about that. So anyway, we went to Denver, had the funeral. My brother conducted the service. And life eventually kind of drifted back into the normal lane. Fast forward a few years to 2018. I didn't think I'd be near this uh, emotional. June 30th. Saturday, <clears throat> I like Saturdays because you go to church the next day. I've always liked that. Kind of a normal Saturday. <clears throat> anyway, I uh, went to bed, anticipating getting up and going to church the next day. About 2.15 in the morning, the phone rang. It was the police telling us our son Jeremiah had been killed in a motorcycle accident. They clocked him over 100, weaving in and out of traffic north of Lincoln on the interstate about 11 o'clock. And uh, instead of pulling over, he just took off. Outran the cops, took the Waverly exit, sped through Waverly. A few miles north of Waverly is a little town called, uh, can't even think of the name right now, it blanked out. Anyway, there's a little curve coming around going into town. 
and he hit the end of the guardrail. Died pretty much instantly. So anyway, Diane and I are laying on the bed, holding each other, crying. Diane asks me, what are you feeling? I said, I just wish it was six months from now so I could put some time between now and then. Went to church the next morning. We were up all night. We did worship the Lord. God is there. I had Christian friends really help support us. A day or two later, a couple came over from church and did just what Job's friends did. And the pastor emphasized they just sat with us. Didn't really say much. They had lost a daughter uh, relatively young, I think late 20s, something like that. You can't really know what other people are going through unless you've been through it yourself. And it's it, it, what the pastor said, I think, is so true. Just show up and, and let your presence be there. Diane and I were really able to hold on to our faith. We didn't question why, 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 even though your emotions are just running the gamut. You're feeling everything. You're feeling nothing. But Jesus is there. And you can say, like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, think about that. You're going to kill me, and yet I'll, I'll trust you? Yeah. I'd like to uh, share a verse that meant a lot to me. And there's also a verse of a song, He Giveth More Grace, that I'd like to recite and share. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. A verse that's really helped me is uh, John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So that's part of our story. God has been with us. And I don't honestly know how people could go through life the good times are easy. The bad times, you really need God to help you through. 
And I would urge anyone, if you don't know that peace that only God can give, he's longing and waiting for you with open arms. Pastor.